0: So last night, had a very profound and wonderful talk from Kilisaro. He mentioned this very, um, also very profound and pithy teaching, the Mula Sutta, ten themes of contemplation around the arising and passing of the world. Brilliance! You have to really be in awe at the brilliance of the Buddha's transmission. You know, this was really looking at the nuts and bolts of consciousness to two and a half thousand years ago, and we, we in Europe were sort of wandering around, hitting each other over the heads with <laughs> planks of wood. <laughs> I know, <all> respect. <laughs> To the you know, voyages of consciousness that came from the, from the East. <clears throat> so rooted in desire are all things, born of attention are all things, arising on contact are all things, and converging in feeling are all things. Um, This um, arising of our experience of world and self arising together, this is the mechanism (coughs) by which this actually comes about, comes to be. This thing, dhammas, in uh, the understanding the dharma, with a capital D, the timeless, unconditioned dharma, We've been contemplating and bringing into our chant as the reflections, as one of the central of reflections on the refuge, dhammas. D uh, small d d h a m m a s means thing, something that comes to be a sort of thingness, the thingness of conditionality. Um, ultimately, there aren't really any things, but we have the perception and the designation through the perceptual aspect of the mind, and then the concretization of what's perceived through um, through thought, through concept, through designation, through labial, labeling. Um, this, uh, so then something that's actually fluid, um, and if you really broke down the the essence of materiality and thingness. It's just sort of pure light, really. Even the quantum physicists, pure energy. But we have this construct of thingness. And and that sense of thingness is rooted in where the mind is conditioned, how it's conditioned to move. This word... Um, of desire, is really about this sort of volitionality, how this movement towards something, the mo- movement towards creating a thing, connected with attention. So attention is, follows where that volition goes, where that desire goes. And where we place attention, the experience of world appears. So if the attention goes to a memory then we have the experience of that memory and that becomes for a moment or two that becomes the sense of our world or if the attention goes outside the window then that sense of the world, of the view appears. So the, the world appears internally, ex- externally dependent upon this faculty of attention and attention untrained is it just the, the volitional aspect the often unconscious movement of desire volition the, the scanning and seeking drives attention to sort of wander all over the place this uh, attention this faculty of, of mind and then when there is attention rests upon an experience of through the sense doors there's this, set, there's this uh, experience of contact there's a sense of me and a sense of world, and between the two there's a, a place of contact. And in that contact, there's always a feeling tone, converging on feeling. So arising on contact, contact arises, in the sense of subject-object, me-you, differentiation, and within that, at the core of that experience, is some, usually some quality of feeling. And in that feeling, it can be very neutral, perhaps, you know, I you know, look at the view. It can be just pure seeing and fee- and a receptive view, but often there's a projection from the mind. Isn't that beautiful? You know, and, and and as soon as that happens, we're not really seeing actually what's there. We're seeing our description. You know, or you know, and that happens so quickly and so immediately that construct of our experience of the world to the point that we actually don't really see purely. We're seeing, in the end, the projection of the mind, and we see through that lens. And generally, you know, when we come to how we perceive the other, it's very hard to really see other without the projective conditioning of the mind and the lenses through which we see know, yeah, and often there's a strong emotional component to that, um, and so the worlds that we create and then we live within, we often don't realise that they are actually constructed from within the deep conditionings of of the mind, and they're also constructed and generated through this what's called mano vijnana, the the consciousness of mano of of thought and an aspect of mind that goes out and differentiates through naming, through the sense of I am different from that, and through designation, through language. So this mano objectifies, basically. It creates objects to us. So things aren't necessarily transient, fluid, dynamic unfolding of reality, we start to live with these sort of rather clunky definitions and objectifications of, of and conditioned by very deep narratives that are learnt or, or passed on generationally, socially conditioned in through schooling, through bias, through views, through opinions. We start to live in these very sort of increasingly narrow walls of the mind. So that's why the Heart Sutra leaping beyond the walls of the mind is <laughs> where we're at, or what we're, where we'd like to be at. <laughs> so this manna is generated and connected with the wandering attention. And, and it has a very important function. We could judge that and say well, we shouldn't differentiate, we shouldn't objectify, we shouldn't name, we shouldn't have language. But if all of that collapsed... Well, actually, if all of that collapsed, it would probably be pretty cool. But it also could be a psychotic break, you know, where you get very kind of a a sort of a a rapid deconstruction of the structures of self and world, which doesn't always go well if it's not um, contained and guided and supported with a depth of, um, you know, wisdom, um, um, clarity, compassion, um, maturity of practice, so... Um, it's not necessarily the de- deconstruction of mano is, is a is a bad thing. In some ways and in some practices that's deliberately aimed for at speed. But it doesn't always go well if there's not some integration and some understanding of where do we deconstruct into and what holds the ground. So this other dimension of mind, the citta, is all within the one mind. That That which goes out, differentiates and then that which actually receives the experience of what we're differentiating around, the objective experience, that which feels and receives. So the jitta, the heart, is this essential, essentially the nature of the deep jitta, the deep sense of of heart, the deep awareness is this fundamental feeling of beingness, I am, it's a sensitive, receptive, it gets impacted by... What is experienced. And it also has its own uh, patternings and layerings. So pure Jita, as we've been contemplated, is contemplating, and as Ajahn Mahaboha, uh pointed to, the undifferentiated pure Jita he equated with Nibbana, the, the unconditioned, unconstructed, the timeless, the pure awareness. So this is the, you know, the, the I am as the sense of self, as that dissolves, the, it becomes the, the in, the in um, integral experience of pure beingness before the I am this or I am that <laughs> starts to play out. But the jitta, mostly how we experience the jitta or this inner sense of me, basically, it's not from the pure, undifferentiated awareness. It's mostly the jitta that's conditioned and layered and patterned uh, through all of our experiences, and particularly patterned and f- the patterning fueled by strong emotional content. You know, they, so the patterning constructs of the jitta are these mechanisms of so-called sanya vedana sankara. In the paticca-samuppada, the dependent arising of the experience of self and other, sanya is this perceptual framework, how we experience familiarity. Um, I can designate and and understand what I'm looking at because of sanya. And we know, you know, when people say get dementia, um, that ability to translate what is perceived into the, the process of familiarity and then to place the experience and make sense of it and to operate within that con, con, um, construct dissolves. And so it's very, very hard then to negotiate through the world. So sanya is this sort of memory, familiarity, perceptual, perceptual framework that we rely on to actually place ourselves uh, sanya, uh, but it also starts to layer and pattern the chitta. you know, the, 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 the constructs of what we perceive, connected with this vedana, what we perceive is often connected and, and grounded in and arising, co-arising with this, this feeling, this powerful experience we have as humans is what we feel, Yeah, you know, and feeling, when it's purified, Vedana, you know, becomes a conduit, it becomes an aspect of wise, intuitive intelligence. It's a, it's a medium through which we... It's a medium of information, you know, pure information. And so when it's uncluttered, we have access to, to intuition. And that's another portal of knowing, not just the cognitive frames that we think things through, uh, the, the Vedana unfettered, intuitive, it's connected with the Prajna or Panya wisdom. It's very dynamic, very fluid and, and sort of quantum-like in its, you know, as, as um, I think Einstein would say, he didn't get to his insights just through thinking about. These were quantum leaps of intuitive understanding. Through the medium, yes, this subtle, uh, when thought is also coupled with samadhi, and uh, not just clunky, clonking around and patterned and obsessive, then it becomes very lucid, creative, and coupled with that uh, pure arising of intuitive knowledge. But usually our feeling nature is very um, cluttered. And so in meditation we're purifying Vedana, by healing and transforming the, you know, the, the, the emotional um, feeling, tones that often are connected also with some very deep levels of wounding and trauma that get carried in the system, get carried generationally. And all of this is part of our work. It's, uh, but all of the patterning of feeling and then all of this begins to create the, the patterning of the citta of the heart, it's called sankara, that which is put together, you know, in shapes and patterns and gives a shape around this is who I am, this is the sense of self, this is what the world is, this is how I view things. So there's a lot of what we come into contact with when we take our attention inward is the sankara, the patternings of the citta, patternings, overlaying the innate purity of the heart. They say purity, not designating and making a sort of judgment about pure and pure. You can get into that, you know, it's not like the conditions, you've got to be... You know, sometimes in the spiritual life, this purity thing can become projected onto the world of form and that, you know, you look at the whole, some of the whole classifications of beings and, you know, are they pure, or are they not? And, you know, all of that gets very problematic territory, this sort of seeking for purity and then the, the skewering and the denial and the judgment of what we consider to be impure or not acceptable. And this word is problematic, but pure, the purity of the jitta is really the unconditioned heart. Just pure in the purest sense of the word, awareness. So this so in a way this this so this is the in a way this this beginning of the Mula Sutta, these four phrases are talking about the arising of conditionality. As both the jitta when it projects inwardly through this patterning, it creates the sense of self, when it projects outwardly, it generates the sense of world. And in relationship, object-subject, subject-object, world and self, there is a dynamic. And often that's tinged and quite fraught with, with layerings of unconsidered reactivity, undigested uh, conditioning and emotional uh, response. So... As we begin to m- meditate, then, you know, the, so the, the diagnostic, and then, you know, this is another way, the, the, the Muna Sutta is just another way of talking about the four truths, as is the, the Paticca of the dependent arising. So you sort of pick up the, the hood of the car. The four truths is like the car. And then as you start to pick it up and look at the detail of the engine, you, you can start to name the different... The, you know, the engine of sangsara, what kind of moves all of this, you start to get the components, it's not a mystery so much, you start to break it down and see these components as they operate and fire off each other. But then the medicine, so the Buddha diagnoses um, the problem and then all the dynamic, um, and then he starts to bring the medicine, the headed by samadhi, ruled by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom are all things. So this, as we train attention that goes out following um, the vagaries of the untrained mind, we take that attention and the manovinyana, that part of the mind that goes out and creates in the world, designates in the world, explores the world, objectifies. We take that aspect is connected with attention and bring it that attention back to where it needs to go to to the jitta, to the heart. So we place attention, the mano vinyana, we withdraw it from its wanderings in the world and bring it back to its home base. You know, and it starts to contemplate this yoni somani sakara that Kedisara was talking about yesterday, the holding of all of this in the yoni, in the womb of awareness. The mind, putting the con- the constructs of the mind, creations of the mind, encourage them to come and be held. This is the samadhi, the citta, in samadhi. as attention, moments of attention, back to how it is, breath, body, the experience of the citta, the, the samadhi, the stabilization to whatever degree the gathering and the ability to contain what is, what our experience is and then not only to contain and to hold in this samadhi, womb presence of awareness to but to contemplate what's happening here ruled by sati mindfulness is applied the exploration, the vipassana, the dhamma-vijaya, the exploration of the thingness of what is created, and the, that is the experience of self, the experience of construct, the experience of world, surmounted by wisdom, investigated through panya. So this, this, you know, when there's this... Natural, so then the natural state of the jitta, this which is illuminating already, already has. It's not like we have to go and gain panya. You know, somehow that we stack it up. It's the natural function of the heart. We already have it. We already have this wisely really reflecting nature. It's, a, it's our birthright. It's what makes us human. Not all creatures have this... They have emotion and they have feeling and they have perception and they have drives, but they don't necessarily have this reflective capacity. So this crucial piece, mindful, reflective capacity, reflecting on how it is, what is arising, through a particular lens, not the lens of reactivity and preference and my views and my version of the world and may I fit everything into that, come what may, and judge everything else that doesn't fit it. So the Buddha says, you know, in the Heart Sutra, avalokiteshvara avalokiteshvara is the deep jita, the pure jita, teaching Sariputra, the brilliance of the mind. You know, Sariputra was profound in wisdom, and understood, you know, the vipassana, we look at the objects of experience, and we can understand a lot and have great brilliance and great wisdom. But Avalokiteshvara is saying, look deeper. Course the depths of reality. Course the depths of the heart. It's not finished. You know, so it's a, it's a teaching that Avalokiteshvara is giving to this brilliant mind of ours. Because it is, the Manu vijnana is spectacular. Look what it's done. But it's saying there's some place that you need to return to. Go to the depths of the jitta of the heart and look again. So rather than the lens of reactivity and our preference and our view and our familiarity, we look through, is, uh, as um, in the Heart Sutra, the five skandhas, the five khandhas form. How is the body? What's felt here? What's the experience, the sensation? What is really mine here? So we're applying wisdom. And what do I have, What do I actually feel like I own this? Clearly <laughs> we do, you know. But it didn't. My body didn't ask me when my tooth fell out the other day when I ate uh, chocolate. Um, it didn't say, "Excuse me, Tanisra. Is it okay if I just crack open your tooth?" <laughs> I don't remember asking me permission. You know, I just did it. You know, so you know who is the, who is what is uh, being owned here so contemplating body form and forms the forms of experience you know what what is here so when when we when we come into contact from avija for not this deep prajna contemplation of the mind but through ignorance through our biases through the conditionality the not you know not having, seeing, what is, then we generate this experience of dukkha and samsara. But when there's vijja, you know, pure just contemplation, how it is, this is how it is, this sensation, this experience of form, then it becomes dharma. You know, it's, this, it's, it's not that we're judging what is from the projections of the mind, bad, good, like, don't like, it all becomes nature. It's all Dharma. Even the the most venal politician in the land, and we won't say who that is (laughs) right now, to activate ourselves. You know, the the most, you know, the expression of the most twisted shadow king, the ego gone insane dominating, um, or trying to dominate and hold the power. You know, this is, you know, we we'll could say that's not dharma. You know, it's only the good stuff, you know, only the beauty. But it's all, there's nothing outside the dharma realm. You know, shadow and light and the play of both, mara and awakening are deeply interplaying with them, each other. So it's all dharma. So rather than I don't like and I react and I hate and I judge, this deep contemplation of the Heart Sutra, Avallikiteshvara, coursing the depths of reality. This is reality. The, the, the manifestation, the endless play of light and shadow. And so we contemplate that rather than react so violently and emotionally, and that too, <laughs> So contemplating form, contemplating feeling, contemplating perceptions, connecting with our, our our thinking. Contemplating Sankhara, the patternings, our habits, our tendencies. You know, connected often with very deep um, emotional component. How is the sense of self is shaped? What is its narratives? What is its tendencies? Like I was saying yesterday morning in the Qigong, my profound tendency to want to stay under the duvet, the vipu adhana, the not wanting to be here tendency of the mind. Mm-hmm. Contemplating vijnana, this fifth skandha, of the sensory consciousness, the dualistic consciousness that's constantly arising, me, you, through the sense door, moments of seeing and thinking and hearing and tasting and touching and smelling. You know, there's always this arising. So this deep contemplation, everything is a way that the Buddha categorized through the five khandhas, our experience. He said it's a bit like, if you say the river Ganges, we all know what that is. We have a picture of it. We might have even been there and sat on the, the ghats and drank some chai and, you know, say, I'm sitting at the river Ganges. But if you actually put your fingers into the river Ganges and pick that up and try and hold it, you see that it's, there's, there's nothing you can hold. This is an analogy that the Buddha gave, just bubbles, just bu- and bursting bubbles at that. You say the river Ganges, but in the moment of actual contact, through the contemplation of the reality of what is, there's nothing actually there. (laughs) And in the same way, the the Buddha said, these five skandhas that constitute the experience of self in the world through the eye of wise reflection, if you actually start to really, this sort of wisdom, we have the very receptive, opening, allowing, compassionate, but also sometimes that can go into... We just allow everything, you know. We just stew over and over again in these old storylines and our old hurts and our old this, that and the other. But this sort of wisdom is like a challenge. It's like, what are you really building your house on here? What are you really investing in your energy here? You don't have a lot of it and a lot of time in this form and in this way with these opportunities the sword of wisdom, use it to really challenge yourself sometimes. Um, and Challenge where we hang out, challenge these moods. And to keep, not to do that without compassion, but with a, with a clarity of looking. And so, as you know, when the Buddha said, when we see in that way, we see a Nietzsche. We see the volatility, volatility of the, the ephemeral change. We see dukkha. It's it's not that it's necessarily suffering, but it's not dependable. It's, it's We don't completely lean on that state, on that feeling, on that place, on that dwelling, on that job, on this body, on our health, on our bank account. You know, we, we might be careful of that, but we don't put every piece of our commitment into that because it's dukkha it's unreliable it's anatta you won't find yourself there you won't find your home there so that is uh, yielding deliverance as essence merging in the deathless terminating in nirvana where do we find our home? You know, as the revelation of insight, naturally it's not that we have to look, we have to find, because our natural state is already yielding deliverance as essence, revealing that the essence of all conditions, all forms, all situations are already perfectly here, manifesting, suffused with consciousness. Freedom, consciousness—it's free. That's the only place of freedom, ultimately, and it's the ground of our being. Already merging in the deathless. Already, that's you know everything is already dissolving. When you try and hold it; it's already—it's all dissolving all the time. And it's as our teacher Ajahn said: any condition will be like a taxi home. Take a thought, even the most despicable thought you can possibly have. I won't repeat mine. But, you know, I'll say like a, just a simple thought. My name is Tanisara, and it's a construct. But Then at the end of that thought is the, the silence, the presence, the awareness, the living silence. Terminating in peace. So that means that when we recognize this, that means we taste peace. We taste the freedom of our innate being. We recognize what, what really, we say we are, but what really we, we are and always have been, always will be, and whatever conditions arise and pass, they're arising and passing in the field of the undying, unborn, unoriginated awareness. Presence. You call it what you like, it's just a word. There is no name, of course. The essence of pure consciousness as the ground of the manifested and unmanifested as in the Shurangama Sutra, where form is already empty. Emptiness is already manifesting as form. There is no division. Ultimately, there is only the Leap beyond the walls of the mind, the leaving of dream thinking behind. Ultimately, here we are. So, Avalokiteshvara teaching this is pointing to us to engage this work. Avalokiteshvara is not only the master of wisdom, but is also the mistress of compassion. So we, we contemplate you know, whatever is arising, our obstructions, our sankhara, the forms of existence, with deep compassion. Not the compassion that objectifies, but the compassion that feels the intimacy with all phenomena, all experience. So, as the Buddha encouraged to practice this, we practice this. Kirisara gave some tips last night not only noticing the forms, but noticing the space, not only being stuck to the internal narratives and thinking and cognition, but noticing the silence, not only seeing the phenomena, but turning the mind back, turning this attention this manu vinyana, who is the one listening? What is listening? Who is thinking? Who is trying to get there? Who doesn't understand? To emptying out the structures of self. What remains? What always is? Or as the Buddha taught Bahiya, the disciple that was, was uh, is called the, the disciple most quick to understand. The Bahia was walking in the marketplace and he saw the Buddha in arms around and he went up, hey, Buddha, give me a teaching. And the Buddha said, this isn't the right time and place. He didn't say it like that. He said, Lord Buddha, <laughs> most radiant ocean of wisdom and compassion. Please, out of compassion... This is really how one should approach the teachings. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I was teaching in South Africa, and this guy goes, "Look, I paid my money; just give it to me in a nutshell." <laughs> <laughs> and then when we first came, the very, very first time we taught in Johannesburg, it was in '94. You know, we, I mean, it was a real trip arriving in South Africa, and then we gave this Dharma talk, and this guy comes in with a gun on his. You know, sits at the back, and it's like this sort of big guy. He's like this gun, and in the end, he goes, "Okay, I heard all that. What about emptiness? I don't hear anything about emptiness." He's like, "Okay, he's got a gun. I'm going to say something about emptiness." (laughs) To say, "Well, let's just start with saying you're not very empty right now." (laughs) The vagaries of South Africa. So, Lord Buddha, so Bahia. Say so, you know, um, please give me a teaching. He asked three times. If you ask a Buddha three times, apparently it's very hard for them to say um, anything else but to respond to the request. Um, and so the Buddha said, you know, but here, in the scene is just the scene, in the herd is just the herd, in the sensed is only the sensed, in the cognized thinking is only the cognized. Thus, you should see. That indeed, there is no thing here, there is no thing there. This, but is how you should train yourself. So in the scene, when we see something, we go, tree, look at that, isn't it beautiful? I wonder where I should walk, should I go to the river, should I go? And so really, we take a walk, but we're just walking in our own mind, really. We might occasionally go, oh, it's nice, it's lovely. And then <laughs> uh-huh. But what is it if we just see... And just soften the gaze and allow what we 're looking at to come to us rather than the mano vinyana goes out and it fixes and separates out so soften allow like if i 'm in this room now, if I look at an individual, my mind creates the person, and then I might have a story and then I might have an emotional content, and I might have a history, and you know then it woof. If I'm soft and I allow the forms to come, then I'm included in that. The the sense of the looking and what's looked at starts to merge. And that's a very different relationship. You you look at the star and you do that. At a certain point, the star and what is looking at the star, there's a moment of complete connection. Then the seeing is just the seeing. It's not really a self and another. That's the creation of the mind. In the herd is just the the hearing. So we we hear I was like, the elks. Oh, the elks (laughs) You know, like open my door, I can hear the elks, you know. And I was saying to someone yesterday, like I heard outside last night, this chomping, the night before last, this chomping. Outside my window at night, I said, like, "It's the elks, the elks." I've never seen an elk, you know, so I'm so excited about I need to hear them. My man, I dare the elks. I mean, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And so, like, it's an elk outside. So I'm like, I'm getting my torch and trying to open, so I don't. And then the light flashes back in my face. I can't see, and you know, I'm like, I to push it through the, you know. So I eventually get that somehow to kind of. Look outside the moonlight, and I'm waiting to see an elk. And there's this huge cow. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and it's like the disappointment in my mind. So, wait, so, you know, you shouldn't be disappointed. The beautiful cow. And so my mind is just, oh. you know, it's like at midnight. You know, this sort of like, oh. you know, So in the scene, it's just like in the herd. You know, it's just can you just hear sound without creating the world around it? You know, so the practice of hearing. Hearing, just pure hearing, pure sensing. So the, so the sensory doors, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap in Buddhism. The sensory the, the the pure sensing of the sensory experience just as is is actually very blissful. Just is. And then in the, the most subtle the 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 cognize, the thinking. You know, that really catches us. It's so compelling. My thoughts, man, they're Really true, you know? And they really describe to me all the time about how it is, and I believe them. <laughs> you know, and that's, but to a moment, that was sort of wisdom. Who's thinking this, actually? Which agenda is this? Whose agenda is this? Where is this voice coming from? Is it really serving? Awakening, you know, you know, to think this is thinking. What, what is the quality of thinking? Of is it tinged with aversion, with desire, with confusion? Is it collapsing me? Is it, you know, like, elevating and you know, grandiosity? So check it out. So I said that Bahia got the teaching awakened in the moment and then gored by a bull and died. That's why he was called the quickest one to get the teaching awakened and then pass on to the next realm. So you never know. So we have our practice, we have a day, we have a beautiful setting, we have a support, we have food, we have it's all here for us, May. We use the time well. May we be supported. May it be a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.